Welcome to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. Hear and learn through the success of others how to build the life and business you deserve. Learn to overcome failure, what it means to seek out growth, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. And now, here's your host, coach, entrepreneur, husband and father, and author of the number one best-selling book, Survive, Scale, Soar, Jeremy Williams. And welcome back. This is Jeremy Williams, and you're tuning in to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast, the podcast for the entrepreneur built by entrepreneurs. Today, I'll be joined by Carl Schnitzer, former Philly police officer, realtor, investor, and expert on infinite banking. This is going to be a great conversation. Before we get started with our guest, a quick reminder if today's episode moves you, makes you think differently, makes you laugh, or you know it may help someone, be sure to share it. And welcome to the show, Carl. How are you today? Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me here. Uh, really excited uh, for this opportunity because we're going to talk about infinite banking here um, as, as we go along in our conversation. I find it to be extraordinarily interesting. Yet I want to start out with you're, you're a police officer. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was a police officer here in Philadelphia. Um, I went to the academy straight out of college. So I went to Penn State, uh, one of our local subdivisions of Penn State here in Philly, and then went straight from there, you know, criminal justice major, went to the police academy. Um, and then from the academy, they send you right to right to the Badlands and kind of just, you know, it's uh, just learn, learn as you go, pretty much. <clears throat> yeah, so Philly, uh, most people that are listening to this will probably be in the United States. They know Philly is a tough place to, to be a as police of, officer. Like, uh, two days ago, I think it was, we're leading the, the country in homicides right now. Yeah, you, you might have just surpassed Houston. Uh, Houston was had that lead for a little while, and it's not one of those things that you want to win in. Yeah, right. So, hey, uh, job security for police officers. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So you you go into the police force and obviously, especially in the last year or two, it's been a lot more challenging for those those guys. Can you give a little perspective from the from the inside when you're with them? You know what that experience was like? Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of I got I got the extreme of both, um, you know, spectrums. It was it was awesome. And I absolutely hated it. Um, and it was like every day was kind of in between that. I, I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. I was fortunate to always have, you know, pretty good immediate supervisors. Um, and it's a lot of fun. You learn a lot. I mean, there's only um, it's the only profession in the world where they say, you know, you can you can give a life, save a life or take a life. It's the only profession you can do those three. Um, and you, you know, people also say it's, it's the best show on earth. And you know, you see, especially being in Philly, um, you, you see everything, you know, I've been there for babies being delivered. I've, you know, seen homicides, you know, adolescent homicides, hip, you know, people hit by cars and decapitated people hang in. It's, you see everything. Yeah. I, I don't think people realize that. Like, I, yeah. I, I think they just see what's on the news and, and, uh, they, also, and, there's also a lot of good. I kind of just pointed out bad stuff. I mean, there's a lot of cool things too. You know, one of the things I, I was kind of um, fortunate to do, you know, while I was on the job was work the, the Eagle Super Bowl parade. You know, we were on the inside of the parade 
every single citizen of Philadelphia was there. Uh, you know, I was around all the players, um, had the whole, you know, bus passing by me and everything and, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's not all guts and uh, <laughs> not all bad stuff. There's a lot of, you know, positives and cool stuff to the job too. Get to yeah, and I imagine there's probably, there's probably a reason that you're attracted to that and, and being able to help people. I imagine that's why you stepped into that role. Yeah. Um, so I originally, so I actually wanted to go into the Marines, uh, like all through grade school, high school. That was my plan going into the, to the Marine Corps. And I tried during high school, you know, to go right after high school and I couldn't get past maps. I went a few times and they, every time I go, every time I went, they disqualified me for my vision. And I, I had a couple different issues and they had to send me to specialists to get, you know, a waiver for my eyes and everything. And you know, at the time it was like 2011, 2012. So things were kind of dying down. Um, and you know, what my recruiter at the time told me was that, you know, they, he was experiencing it with other people that they were just denying people for everything. So I kind of, you know, I wanted to go something maybe paramilitary if I couldn't get into the actual military. So I thought, you know, policing was, was that, um, and there's, there's aspects that is aspects that aren't, um, but you know, you get the, you get a paramilitary sense to it, but it's definitely not the the military. Yeah. And I think we hear all the bad stuff that's going on with police and, and I don't want to focus on that because it's wall to wall on, yeah. on our televisions. I, I, I do want to ask you, what is the, what is the proudest accomplishment you had as a police officer? Proudest. Um, so I, you know, I, I only was on the, the job for four years. So, you know, within the four years, I did see a lot. I, I did get one um, like accommodation for a job that I had. And, you know, I can tell the story real quick. So my my partner and I of the night, um, really, really good cop still on the job. He and I stopped a car, just a car stop. Uh, you know, we smelled PCP immediately, which if you've never smelled PCP before, it's a very, um, you know, um, you, you know exactly what it is when you smell it. It's it's there's nothing really like it. So we pulled them out. We're searching them. None of their, you know, they don't have licenses or stumbling on their names, date of birth, everything. So as we're patting the one guy down, um, my partner feels a gun in his waistband. So once he felt the gun in his waistband, you know, the, the struggle was kind of on from there. My partner had his hand on the gun. The guy had his hand on the gun or on my partner's hand. And we're, we're fighting with this guy trying to get control of the gun he ends up slipping away and running. So um, I started chasing him and then tackled him. And at that point too, like he still had the gun on in his front waistband and I'm on top of him on the, on my back, on his back. And that's the one and only time I, I, I dropped an assist, which is basically you get a little orange button on your radio. And if you click that button, you know, everybody, no matter what they're doing, anybody in the area, any district, any department really. Um, cause like you get to get state police or anybody too, will come to, you know, your location. So that's the only time I ever did that. And I basically just bear hugged the guy. Cause I figured if, if he still had the gun, which I knew he, he did, he would have to shoot through himself to get to me. So I, I just bear hugged him until, you know, my partner was with the other guy at this time. So within seconds, you know, there was, um, cars rolling in and, and we, we got the guy. Um, so we actually locked him up and then, one of the reasons I, I left the department was because our great district attorney decided to let him go. And then the, the federal prosecutors actually picked the case up. So, um, 
but that's one of the one of the main reasons I left is because there's there's no support from the the top and the district attorney office that we have here in Philly is not our friend at all um, for for many reasons and every every cop's facing that you know every every arrest that you have is being scrutinized and um, you know all, all kinds of stuff I could go on with about that but that was a that was a good accomplishment I got an award for that one um, and then you know just the academy is a fun day so. So you, you left and, and before you left, you, you started to do something different, uh, looking to the future of, of your business and your life. Uh, what was that that you did? Yeah. So I started investing in real estate um, while I was still a cop. Uh, I bought my first uh, like duplex to house hack. I lived in the bottom, running out the top. My cost of you know living was like 300 bucks a month. And I was like, oh crap, this is pretty cool. Um, that kind of got, you know, the real estate moving to where, you know, that led into all kinds of books, podcasts, YouTube videos, mentors, reaching out to people. Um, and then I just slowly, I kind of kept quiet at work and slowly, you know, I started flipping houses, started buying rental properties, uh, you know, uh, my old friend and I, who I knew he was in real estate, him and I reconnected, we bought some properties together. Um, and then eventually I, I tried to stay quiet about the real estate because I didn't want um, kind of any like backlash, you know, from it. And um, unfortunately, that's kind of the the nature of the business, you know. It was but, a side. It was a side hustle, right? Yeah, definitely, it was a side hustle. Um, but I didn't want you know supervisors knowing that I, I had outside income, and then they may get uh, you know, upset if a cop is making more money than them. So. Uh, I kind of kept quiet about that. And then the summer of 2020 is when I, I was planning my exit basically since the day I got into real estate anyway. And the summer of 2020 is when my wife and I sat down and we were like, look, it's, uh, it's time that, you know, I just go full-time into real estate. It, it wasn't worth, um, the policing wasn't worth the risk anymore, you know, and it's not even just your, the risk of, of, getting hurt or, or, you know, God forbid dying, but the risk of going to jail for one split second decision that could potentially be the wrong. And now you're in prison for your whole life. So yeah, we saw that here recently with the, I don't remember the city, but with the, the female police officer that yeah. she had the taser and, and yep. shot the individual. She's I think eight years. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, there, um, there's a couple of cases ongoing in Philly right now um, that are just, you know, I, I sympathize with the guys because it's, you know, it's always easy to Monday morning quarterback any scenario. But when you're there, you know, in the heat of the moment, split second decisions, you know, right or wrong, you have to make a decision. Um, and it's then, you, you know, you're, you're scrutinized for it. Yeah. You're, Philly sounds a lot like Houston and, and RDA as well. It's uh, not not cop friendly and, and it's actually yeah. costs the lives of cops. It's It's funny, too, when you compared to other careers, you know, medical malpractice or any other career that, you know, a decision could potentially cause the loss of a life or injury in somebody else. You don't hear about any of it unless it's, you know, police officers, um, they, they get the wrong end of the stick for, you know, all that. Well, so, well thank you but, for your service there. I know I don't live in Philly, but I know that, that you serve that, that community well, and you found this opportunity for real estate. Um, yeah. as, as a way out. Um, you, you bought, you've bought several units and I know you've created some partnerships. Kind of talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Um, and last thing I'll say about the policing too, the, the biggest, you know, thing that I got out of it and, and, you know, I really understand why God put me in that, um, place is because I learned even in these, you know, quote unquote bad areas, there's still good and awesome people, you know, and that's where I started buying properties, you know, buying rental properties because they're cheap, the houses, yes. And there's still good people and excellent tenants down there. You know, my tenants and I have awesome relationships. I take care of them. They take care of the properties. Most people from the outside looking in and just think that, you know, oh, I would never buy a house in Kensington. It's, it's terrible down there. When reality, you know, you're, you're generalizing an entire area with people that have lived there for 40 years and they just choose to live there. All their family lives there. They don't partake in any of the nonsense. Um, so that's, you know, the one thing that I'm really grateful for from being a, you know, a cop down there. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's a huge lesson right there. And if, if anybody takes anything from this podcast yeah. is, is just that, you know, sometimes we have this, this limiting belief or this mindset that because people live in a certain area, well, they can't, they can't be great people. And that's just obviously not, not true. Yeah. And, absolutely. Um, you know, having that opportunity to experience that firsthand and, and, yeah. uh, you know, people just, it's, it's always the few that mess it up for the most. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's across any, any profession or industry. Um, and it's, you know, honestly, the hardest part investing in these class, you know, D and, and lower C neighborhoods, it's not even the, the people, uh, like tenants being people it's, you know, I've, I've had issues with banks where the second you say a zip code or, or a property value, you know, yeah, a property might only be worth 50, $60,000. Um, they want nothing to do with it. And just because they're, they're generalizing, you know, the area with, um, you know, crime stats or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Let me yeah. get back to your other question. Um, originally about partnerships and everything. Yeah. So I had invested in a partnership with a good friend of mine and, uh, he's actually the broker of my Remax office. Cause I'm a realtor too. And him and I bought several dozen homes together. Um, and then that just kind of, you know, I, I built houses with him in a partnership. I have houses by myself without partners. I have, um, a few with my dad that, you know, I kind of got him into some real estate. He was always in construction, but never in investment real estate. So him and I did, you know, done some flips and have some rental properties. Um, and then just other different partnerships with, you know, business equity as well. So when I, when I hear that, and I think the audience is going to hear this too, they, they hear I bought multiple houses. I, I did multiple things. Yeah. The first thing that's going to come to mind is, okay, how do I, how do I finance this? Yeah. So, you know, several reasons um, or several ways we got, you know, I don't know if it was, uh, I don't believe in, in luck really, but uh, you know, we had an opportunity that Joe, my, my partner had found for seller financing and we bought a portfolio of homes, seller financed, and the deal went smoothly. Um, you know, everything worked out well. We held the note with the sellers and then we were able to refinance the properties, pay out the sellers and the broker that had listed that portfolio of homes, he calls us up one day and, and he says, you know, guys, that went pretty smoothly. I have these other portfolios uh, that have been sitting on market for a few years. I think the sellers would be open, you know, to the same structure. So we were like, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we went out there, we toured everything. That broker introduced us to several more sellers um, that were, you know, distressed sellers. They've been sitting on market for whatever reason. Um, 
And we were able to buy those portfolios as well, seller financed, uh, and then same thing, refinance them with a bank once we do our, you know, our value add to it, increase rents or um, renovate the properties. So, uh, you know, seller financing is, is a huge, um, you know, way to kind of get your foot in the door with real estate. It's always a, you know, somebody has money and no time or somebody has time and no money. And, um, you know, having that, if you have time and no money, seller financing is a, is a great way to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And, and like you said, once you get your rents and, you know, a lot of times they're distressed or the rents are not where they need to be, or maybe they don't have, you know, contracts for the renters, you know, you go and you clean all that up, you do your, your updates to the property, maybe even raise the rents a little bit. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to then take it to back to the bank, like you said, and, re, and refinance it. So, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, oh, okay. So seller financing is one way. Yet I'm really fascinated about what we're going to talk about today is with the, the infinite banking concept yes, and how you can use that to grow your real estate portfolio. So can you share, give me sure. the overview first of what infinite banking is. So infinite banking, um, infinite banking concept, people, you know, call it IBC, uh, privatized banking, cash flow banking, insurance banking, family banking, all kinds of terms for it it's all infinite banking concept. Um, and what that is, is a strategy that utilizes certain provisions and riders inside of a life insurance contract, a specifically designed life insurance contract in order to create essentially your own private bank that you can then use to fund your deals or, you know, they don't even have to be deals. You can use it for anything, a wedding, a college, um, rental property, car, whatever you want. Okay. So, that's, that's pretty cool. Like you can, you can basically write your own money almost, right? Yeah. I mean, so you have to contribute money to the account, you know, over a lifetime, ideally, you know, with the infinite banking concept, you're planning for future generations um, and building generational wealth. It was so infinite banking itself, the, the strategy has been around for 200 some years. Um, all the, you know, famous families you hear about, all the family offices, you know, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, JP Morgan's, Walt Disney has been pretty public about IBC. Um, they've been using this strategy for hundreds of years. There was a guy in the 80s uh, named Nelson Nash, and he, he coined the term infinite banking and really kind of just exposed, you know, what was going on with that these, these ultra rich families were doing. Um, and then he kind of brought it down to, the blue collar and white collar, uh, well, you know, people on how to implement the strategy yourself to eventually the goal of it is to eventually move away from commercial banks where you have a family bank. That's what you you use your grandkids, 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 you know, can all access the family money. So I'm, I'm thinking about renting or going and investing in, in real estate mm -hmm. and uh, doing some long-term rentals with that. And, and I come to you and I say, you know, Carl, here's here's my plan, and you introduce me to infinite banking. Like, what what's the first step, or what does that look like? Yeah, so first step is just a strategy call, and what I would do on that first call, and you know, for any of your listeners listening, I work at a firm, um, just ten ninety nine. You know, work. It's called Producers Wealth, so you can go on the website Producers Wealth, fill out a form if you wanted, um, and the first step is kind of like a strategy call where we'll do 
you know, high level over overview, kind of see where you're at with your, with your education, knowledge, experience in infinite banking, what your goals are, your current situation. Um, from there, we may recommend, you know, some podcast books, YouTube or anything, um, just to kind of help you understand the strategy. And then during that time, we would design a policy based on your, you know, situation of how much you want to contribute, age, health, everything like that. Do another call where we'll actually go over the policy, show you what this policy looks like, you know, how you're going to use it and implement it into your overall strategy. Um, so we work with a lot of real estate investors, a lot of business owners um, that use this strategy. I mean, it's one of the things I like about it too. And I've been a practitioner of it myself prior to even being licensed to sell and coach it. Um, and I've used my policy personally to flip houses, to buy rental properties, um, you know, whatever, buy a car, anything you want. And the owner of my firm, he reached out to me one day and he said, Hey, you know, I really want to, he used to be a one man show. And he said, Hey, I want to build a, a team out. Would you be interested um, in getting licensed in insurance and, you know, working at producers wealth. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I've become super, super passionate about infinite banking. Once I've seen kind of firsthand, you know, the, the power of it. Um, and especially just, you know, looking at the things I've done now, you know, at, at 28 years old, that is going to, you know, completely change the, the legacy of the Schnitzer family. Um, it's, it's generational over the next, you know, for forever, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years. So how, what, so let's get into the kind of technicalities of it. So let's sure. say I buy a $10,000 policy and mm -hmm. how would I put that to work to go invest or use that money for an investment and to make my down payment? So when you buy a policy, um, the way that we structure them, a portion of it goes to your base premium and then a larger portion of it goes to a paid up addition rider. So that paid up addition rider um, goes straight to a cash value account. That cash value account is just a savings account. You know, it's just like if you, you know, logged on to a Wells Fargo online banking portal, you see money sitting in a savings account, you can log on to your insurers and see money sitting in a savings account. That money, you can access up to 90% of it at any time you want. So, you know, for easy numbers, if you have $100,000 sitting in there, you can lend and use 90% of it whenever you want. And it, you're the banker, you control the terms of the loan. So, you know, if I'm flipping a house, you know, I may take 50,000, go flip a house, you know, I'd mix it with private or hard money if I need to. And I won't, you know, I'll tell myself, okay, I don't want to make any payments. I'll just pay it back in one lump sum in six months. So then when the house sells, I'll pay that back in one lump sum. You could also do, you know, if you wanted to make payments on a monthly basis, like say you, you want to go buy a car, you're going to self-finance it. So you're going to borrow $30,000 from your policy. And I'll tell myself, and this is where you have to be disciplined and, you know, okay, I'll pay myself 5% interest for the next, you know, 36 months. And then you pay it back to your own bank versus a commercial bank. And the main benefit is, the money in your cash value account, when you use it, never actually comes out of your cash value account. You're borrowing money from the insurance company's general fund. So what that you know means, it's kind of 
tough without illustrations. Um, it may confuse your listeners, but anybody can reach out. You, you figure for easy numbers, say you have a hundred thousand dollars in cash value and that's growing. You get a guaranteed interest rate from the insurance company and you get a dividend on top of it. So we normally see a growth around 6%, which may not seem like a lot to people. However, this is a savings account. This is not the investment. This is what funds your investments. So you have $100,000, you know, say it's growing at 6% a year and you need 50,000 to go flip a house. So you're, you can take a loan for 50,000, but that 50,000 never actually comes out of the account. So you're still get, getting growth and compound interest on the full 100,000 while you have 50,000 liquid. So because of that, you've now created, you know, $150,000 of capital that's growing, you know, 100 at 6% and 50,000 at whatever you're, you're investing it in. Um, you know, what we teach at Producers Wealth is a system where you have your cash creation, which is commissions, W-2 income, however it is you earn money, then you have to store that. And we call it, um, you know, like a, there's a term for it. I forget our little illustration, but um, cash, uh, it's like a safe in the diagram. Anyway, you have, you have cash creation and then you have to store that cash somewhere. So there's no way around that unless you're you know, keeping it in a mattress under your bed. So rather than keeping it in a commercial bank, we keep it in our own bank and then we use that money to fund our investments or liabilities. You can use it to buy a liability if you want to. The, the goal is that we never spend you know, our capital and we allow it to grow uninterruptedly you know, and compounded over our entire lifetime and then through future generation lifetime, future generations. So the way that we accomplish that is through a series of different trusts and everything where, you know, it is life insurance. So you do get a death benefit and that death benefit is paid out tax-free to a beneficiary. We, you know, encourage our clients to make that beneficiary a trust. That trust is then instructed to pay the future premiums on other, you know, for me, other schnitzers policies um, to their max insurability. And it's a big cycle that, you know, you can start a policy on a child after 10 days old. So you, you can only imagine a policy that's growing from the time somebody's 10 days old until they pass away at 80, 90 years old, whatever it is, it just grew for 90 years, uninterrupted compound interest which then that policy is getting passed on to the next, you know, um, generation, all within this this family banking trust. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting, and and yeah, the, the the accumulation of wealth, I could see that happening for you know your lifespan compared to your child's lifespan. It's just they've got more time. It's more time oh, yeah. that money is being invested. It's it's great, and it's also like so. I have a, a presentation that I, I do whenever I talk about infinite banking, and I have two illustrations on there of. Um, $30,000, you know, invested at a 6% interest rate, no other contributions over 20 years turns into, it's like 96,000 and change. So it triples, which is, you know, it's good. It's not great. But when you, when you take that and scale it out a hundred years, it turns into 10.1 million, just one $30,000 contribution. So, and, and then the next chart is over 200 years and it's like 3.4 billion dollars and it's you know it, it makes you second guess every purchase that you make where you know hey i've got you know thirty thousand. i want to go buy a new car 
well, you know, I'm costing my grandkids and my grandkids' grandkids $3.4 billion by that one purchase. Um, and it's just a shift in your, uh, you know, in, in your brain where you have to look at the opportunity cost that you're losing by spending cash rather than, um, you know, collateralizing the cash to make your purchases. Yeah, no, really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I can see how this is is a tool that, you know, for somebody that's wanting to, to start investing in real estate, um, you know, be a tool that, you know, if you're wanting to create a, leg- a true legacy uh, for future generations, I, I really can see and have a better understanding now of what infinite banking is. Yeah. And so if somebody today, they, they're hearing this and they're like, okay, it, this has piqued my interest a little bit. I, I want to go learn more about it. How, how do they reach out to you? Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you're open to share my contact info with, with any of your audio, audience, um, but also you could just go to producerswealth.com. You know, you fill out the little form that you want more info. There'll be a block saying, how did you hear about us? You know, you can put um, Jeremy or, or Red Hawk uh, coaching, you know, anything like that. That'll get forwarded to me and we could hop on a strategy call and, um, you know, like the one thing you said that it is perfect for real estate. It complements real estate investors so well because you can allow your money to work, you know, in two different places at once. Um, there's only, you know, three types of ways people spend money, which is uh, the debtor is, this is the person that, you know, they go to the bank, they get a car loan, they go get student loans and they slowly pay it back, slowly pay it back. The other person is, you know, the person that pays cash, and they'll save up cash, spend it, save up cash, spend it, save up cash, spend it. The only way to, to bridge the gap to really start to build um, you know, wealth uninterruptedly is to collateralize the, the wealth. And it's, it's going to be hard to view without an illustration, but there's a chart where it basically has a hockey stick curve going up. And rather than saving the money and then spending it, you're, you're collateralizing that money to go make your purchases and you're allowing compound interest to work uninterrupted uh, through, through your entire lifetime. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What is a bank right now paying out like 1% if that? 0.01, yeah. yeah it's, it's awful, it's yeah. awful. So yeah, definitely, definitely a great opportunity. Well, Carl, yeah. thank you for uh, taking the time today. And um, I know my there's gonna be somebody in my audience that hears this today and says, you know what, I, I need to go dig more into that. So I encourage you to reach out to, to Carl, uh, go to the website, uh, producerswealth.com. Make sure that you put in the notes, Red Hawk Coaching, put in the yeah. notes, Carl. Uh, that way we make sure that it gets to him and he'll reach out to you, I know, and have a consultation on how you can make it make it work for you and more important, your, importantly, your family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the biggest thing is it's, it's a legacy play. Um, you know, you can benefit from it in your lifetime, absolutely but you're really setting up, you know, your future um, legacy. And I encourage, you know, anybody to go out and get the book Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Um, Nelson Nelson was the guy I mentioned who was the quote unquote founder of Infinite Banking. He wrote a book on Infinite Banking that, you know, it, it, it has changed many lives and I'm sure it'll change yours too. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Carl, uh, for sharing this. Uh, thank you for uh, giving us some insight into to your personal investments and how you grew that. And uh, for, for the time that you served as a police officer in, in Philadelphia. So I appreciate you sharing with our audience today.
Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. I'm happy to, uh, to come on and, you know, share uh, everything I know. Thank you for listening to the Survive, Scale, Soar podcast. If you heard something that made a difference in your life today, share it with someone that might benefit and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Learn more about the host of this podcast and coaching services offered by Red Hawk Coaching by visiting www.redhawkcoaching.com. 